0: Well, thank you very much, Artiketu. Bring it of light, I like that. I might write to Bante, actually. (laughs) Uh, So, um, I'm going to tell you another story. I told you a story uh, last time I was here. The golden throne is gone. I knew that wouldn't last. Uh, (laughs) They got me behind the podium. And uh, one of the things I've been sort of uh, trying out is walking around giving talks, but I don't suppose that... No. Um, <laughs> I need to stay in one place. I'm going to tell you a story, and it's my take on uh, the story. Um, I was talking to Art of Arden over breakfast uh, this morning, and I was saying that uh, Bunte, Bunte, and my father are the two men that have had the biggest effect on my life. And... Um, um, I have a lot of gratitude for bante, a lot of love for bante, but there 's whole sides of bante that i don 't know, and actually, the same is true of my father um, and I think if you probably look at your your friends, your mother, your father, your grandparents whatever there 'll be whole sides of their life that you 're not privy to. I remember going home to visit my father um, just a few years ago, and uh, they were celebrating that the right words, celebrating uh, d-day and my father was actually involved in d-day and uh, he talked to me for the first time ever about those incidents over 60 uh, years ago that he'd never been able to talk to anybody about before he said when he came home from the war he couldn't talk to my mother she could just couldn't understand what he had been through so for 60 years uh, he didn't talk about that Sixty years, that, an experience uh, like that. So with Bante too, Bante is a complex man. Bante is a multifaceted man. When, when I was writing this, I thought, oh, Bante, why, why can't you just be simpler? <laughs> it would be uh, easier. But I'm, I'm pleased that at the centre of this uh, rainy season retreat, that we've got a number of different people coming to give their different takes on Bante, and you'll get some sense of him from that. Uh, I'm sure. I'm not going to make any jokes about rainy season retreats in Manchester. I've been teased a lot about that. People in Cambridge saying it must be a very, very long retreat. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to say anything about that. So I met Bante for the first time in uh, 1984. Um, I was at Padmaloka, the men's retreat centre, in Norfolk Broads, my first it was my first retreat, my first big retreat. Um, I was twenty-nine, and uh, Bante was fifty-nine. Um, again, interestingly enough, Bante is the same age as my father. My father's uh, name is Dennis as well. <laughs> it's quite a coincidence. Um, and in and I'm uh, in a couple of months' time, I'm fifty-nine-two. I don't know how that has happened. But it it, it has, and I remember going into Bhante's study and meeting this old man, this kind of wise old man. I don't know whether I'm wise, but I'm certainly getting older. Um, I went in, I was struck by two things. I was struck by the tartan carpet that is still there uh, in in the room, and the heat. It was a summer day, and the heat was really, really cranked up. People said that Bhante liked the temperature of India, So, we met, um, and meeting Bhante, also the experience of that first retreat, I saw that it was possible to live this life. My experience of Buddhism up until then had been uh, going to a class once a week, and going back to my flat, going back to my my life, and my work, and my my social life, and it seemed possible uh, to live this life. Um... So I met Bante in his study, um, and I'd heard that he was a wise man, so I wanted to ask his advice about two things, two personal things. Um, I was cheating in a way. I, I, I didn't have the moral courage at that time to change these two areas. I wanted Bante to tell me to do it. So you know, it would be his responsibility, it would be his fault. <laughs> um, and uh, I wanted—I uh, was in a—I was in a relationship at the time. Uh, I'd got a partner at the time, and uh, I think I wanted to get out of that. And um, I was—I uh, was kind of—I thought, well, Banti will tell me to go forth. And I um, was quite taken back when he said to me that it was difficult if you got in, if you were in a partner and you got involved in Buddhism it could be really difficult for the partner um, and uh, we could get quite excited about you know, finding the Dharma but what about them and uh, he didn't counsel me to leave them what he did was he said uh, spend time with them, be kind be considerate uh, don't just think of your, yourself uh, think of them too I wish I'd taken that advice <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so no luck there, so I moved out onto my job, I was working at the DHSS, I was working in supplementary benefits, I don't know whether anybody here remembers supplementary yes. benefits. Ah. <laughs> and um, I'd worked there for uh, 11 years I think, and it was very, it was very kind of stressful and uh, it, was, it was getting worse, and uh, I wanted uh, Bante to say, leave your job, you know, work for the movement, and uh, he didn't. He said uh, <laughs> it could be really good at DHSS having a Buddhist. You know, think, of, uh, <laughs> think of the positive effect on uh, you know, your colleagues and on the people coming in claiming benefits. <laughs> uh, so we continued to talk. We had quite a, a far-ranging uh, uh, conversation. Everything I thought I knew something about Bhante... Banti had been there before. and uh, But what, uh, what kind of really struck me was um, he, he opened things up for me. Whenever I've gone with a difficulty, I've got myself into a kind of knot, and I've gone to see Banti, he's very, very deftly kind of undone the knot and given it me back. Uh, he's never been dogmatic, he's never been doctrinaire, he's never said, do this, he's, he's deftly loosened it up for me and given it me uh, back. So I left the study and I decided that I would leave my partner and I would leave my job. <laughs> and I'm always grateful to Bante for not, uh, in a way, taking the responsibility that I needed to take. I needed to uh, realise it was my decision. Sometimes you make bad decisions, don't you? sometimes you make good decisions. Uh, but you, you need to make those decisions yourself. And that was what I got from that, that afternoon. Um, so that afternoon, I, fa- I, I felt that I had found my teacher. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I felt like I'd left it a little bit late. I was 29, and a lot of the people involved at that time uh, were 19, 20, 21. Uh, we could have done with a, a sort of an older persons group in those days, rather than a, y- a younger persons uh, group. So I found my teacher, but who was he? Who was Um I'd heard tapes. Do people still listen to the tapes? Um, <laughs> 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 no. It's uh, well, most of them have been being turned into books now, haven't they? But I, I heard tapes, and they were the old, you know, cassette tapes. Some of which had scratched. You know. Um, and this strange I remember putting the first tape on this strange Victorian voice came out of the of the speaker and uh, very very kind of clear, very kind of precise but not a modern voice, but at the same time uh saying extraordinary things uh, about changing society changing oneself uh, it's quite uh kind of kind of contrast that this voice and yet this this sort of these revolutionary things um so I'm going I'm to uh, show you a few snapshots. Uh, that's not what the screen is for. Uh, uh, I'm going to tell you a few stories in this, in this talk. And this is the sketchiest uh, introduction. If you want to know more about Bante, uh, read Bante on Bante. Read Bante's memoirs. I particularly love um, The Thousand Petal Lotus. I think that's now The Rainbow Road, isn't it? I think his, his earlier life has been linked with that. I must have read that uh, book three, four, five times. Um, read his, me- his memoirs, his poems. His poems are, in a way, also a kind of uh, life story. Whether or not you like his poetry, he-, he makes no claims for it, but he does shed a light on him. And look around you. If you want to uh, know Bhante, look around. Uh, um. Bhante says that he's a mystery uh, to himself as much as to us. He's a poet, uh, Banthi the mystic, the communicator, the writer, the teacher, the translator, the elucidator, a thinker and a friend. So I'm just going to pick a few things out and talk about uh, those. So he was born, uh, not Sangharaksata, but Dennis in 1925 in Tooting in London to working class uh, parents. And if you know anything about his life, uh, you'll know that at eight years he was diagnosed with uh, a heart condition. Or at least they thought it was a heart condition. Uh, he'd been a very lively child, a very kind of energetic child, and now he was uh, confined to bed uh, for two years. Just imagine that. It's a sort of detail you can skip over in his life story, but this small child in bed. Under the Blankets in Eiderdown in those days. And uh, a small house, small terrace house in London. Um, he'd been a keen reader and uh, he became voracious. What comes to mind uh, is this like a uh, cuckoo being fed by these small like uh, parents. Um, his parents having to go further and further afield to find him books to satisfy his... Uh, his appetite for learning, for beauty, for philosophy, at eight. uh, I don't know what you were reading. Were you reading Plotinus at eight? I don't know. (laughs) Um, So summer, winter, in this uh, small room. When uh, Bante, when it was clear that he had not got a heart condition, uh, he's just rather excitable, Uh, He had to learn to walk again. Um, So two years must be an eternity for a small child being kept uh, quiet. So the book's opening that world. So so although he's physically in this small space, the book's his imagination dissolving away the the walls of that small room. And uh, he's read, until recently because of his eyesight, he can't read anymore, but he's read uh, all his life. So now, a teenager scouring the second-hand bookshops in London. Um, one day, uh, discovering the Diamond Sutra and the Platform Sutra, two uh, Buddhist, well-known Buddhist uh, uh, scriptures uh, in one of the second-hand bookshops in London. I love those second-hand bookshops uh, too. I don't know whether you, uh, you do. And opening uh, the Diamond Sutra... Uh, once again, the walls uh, disappearing, the narrow life kind of disappearing. And I'm going to read something. Um, um, this is from Nagabodhi. Is Nagabodhi coming this time? Right. And this uh, is many years later. Bhante's in India with uh, Nagabodhi, giving one of his uh, uh, tours, doing one of his tours, giving many, many talks. Uh, this particular night Bante is uh, sick, um, so he uh, the, the, the talk is uh, uh, postponed or cancelled. And um, Nagabodi makes Bhante some warm milk and they sit, they're old friends, they sit and they talk. And Nagabodi steers the conversation to Bhante's early life. And this is what he says. Um, at the age of 16, he discovered that he was a Buddhist and that he had always been one, which was generally, if enigmatically, used to convey its import. But as Sangharaksata calmly reminisced between sips of warm milk, I began to understand that the experience had been more powerful, more thoroughgoing and unfathomable than I had yet realised. I was to be granted the further realisation that Sangharaksata himself sometimes found the experience baffling. He almost chuckled as he talked of the proverbial flash in which a young lad in pre-war England had sustained a clear and exact vision of the metaphysical core of the Buddhist teaching. Without a shadow of doubt, for so it seemed, he had seen and felt in his own core exactly what the teachings of Buddhism were fundamentally about. But what is most surprising, he continued, is that none of my subsequent spiritual practice, none of my work as a scholar or a teacher, in fact none of my experience of Buddhism over the past 40 years has made me feel the need to revise or modify that original insight. He cocked his head pensively as a new thought occurred to him. I do realise that is quite a claim to make. To see in a flash to the transcendental heart of Buddhism is one thing, to understand, unfold and embody it quite another. The latter has been the task, the all consuming commitment that has fully occupied Sangarakshita's life. So at sixteen to to see that, to have that experience outside time outside space i've always wondered where that experience happened uh, whether it happened in the bookshop i <laughs> that's that's rather uh, trivial kind of notion whether it happened in that room where he would spent those kind of uh, two years and bunty's whole life uh whole kind of in a way mission has been to introduce others to that to try and build the conditions for for other people to uh, to experience that too. So Bhante's, uh, Bhante's life was transformed by that vision, rooted in it. Uh, his whole life has been the expression of it. And the movement and the order he founded grow out of that vision of the Dharma. Back uh, to uh, Dennis, called up into the army in 1944... He does his basic training. Um, He's very, very good at the Morse code, apparently. Very, very quick. Um, He's in the Signal Corps. His unit is sent to India. Of all places to send uh, the young uh, Dennis, now Buddhist, (coughs) he gets taken (laughs) to India. Um, And in his memoirs, he talks about these, uh, these first beginnings in India. Not meeting many Buddhists. Uh, most of the people leading a spiritual life he met were Hindus and uh, he made very good connections with some uh, Hindus in uh, Buddhism who were really uh, responsive to this young man's spiritual kind of yearning really encouraged him the war ends it's so easy to say that isn't it the war ends the troops start to go home Dennis uh, decides to stay in India A little aside now, uh, uh, I was on the ordination course, the men's ordination course uh, last year at Guiloka. And uh, one of the men I ordained um, was telling me that when he told his father that he was a Buddhist, his father um, crawled back into his memory and remembered that there was a a Buddhist uh, in the army with him. He'd been stationed in India. And... uh, um, he was in the Signals Corps, and this young man, uh, one day, uh, didn't turn up at the canteen. They were about to go home, they didn't turn up at the canteen. And the rumour got around that Dennis has gone. And uh, he couldn't believe it, that his dad, his dad had been in the Signal Corps with uh, the young Dennis. It seemed such a kind of coincidence. And they were really glad. They were really glad for him. Uh, this is what he wanted to do. Um, So Bhante has some experience, uh, he, he has some experience of the, the, in a way, the futility, the emptiness of some of the Europeans' lives in India at that time. And uh, he, uh, he goes and stays at an Andamai's ashram. And uh, in the end, he's kind of fed up with both worldly life and organized religion. And he decides, with a young Indian friend, a rather hot tempered young Indian friend, uh, to go forth. So he's 21 at this stage. It's nearly his 22nd birthday. They burn their identity papers. They uh, they get rid or really slim down their possessions to just a few volumes. Um, They stop using money, and they head south. They head south uh, to get over to Sri Lanka to ordain as Buddhist monks. Of course, then they meet uh, bureaucracy. They meet civil servants. And uh, no identity papers, they're not coming in. They don't allow them in. So Bunting and his friend uh, stay in South India for a time. There are a few adventures I'd love to, I'd love to kind of uh, go into, but there's, there's no time for that. Eventually they end up at um, Ramana Maharshi's ashram. An ashram is a, a little bit like a, a monastery. Not exactly a monastery, but somewhere where you can go and stay uh, sit at the feet of the teacher and Ramana Maharshi was a very famous sort of Indian Hindu saint Bhanti's staying in the cave above the ashram and one night he has a vision of Amitabha uh, this in a way this vision uh, like uh, the Rupa on our shrine here a vision of red Amitabha holding up the lotus um, and Banti takes that as an indication that he should seriously seek ordination into the into the Buddhist sangha. By now, that that longing is, is intense. Um, so he and his friend, uh, by now they've got long hair, beards. They dyed their clothes. I don't know whether Bunty's got dreadlocks. It would be quite. Uh, <laughs> we haven't got a picture like that on the shrine, unfortunately. Um, they head up to Sarnath Sarnath where the Buddha first taught the Dharma after his enlightenment they get to the Mahabodhi monastery uh, Vihara, and uh, the monks take one look at them and they don't they certainly are not going to ordain them they don't want anything to do with them they're really shocked that these two young men are doing what the Buddha advised uh, people to do (laughs) Uh, particularly really shocked that they've got no money so uh, maybe they think they're just uh, freeloaders they want to be monks so that they, uh, they you know they will be supported Bhante and his friend his hot tempered friend uh, really really disappointed really disappointed um, I think his friend feels a bit more than disappointment one of the monks at the, uh, at the Mahabodhi temple takes uh takes pity on them and tells them about a scholar monk living uh, at uh, Varanasi, Benares a few miles out of Sarnath Jagdish Kashyap very famous uh, Buddhist scholar so they go directly to uh, see Jagdish Kashyap he's sympathetic and he tells them that there is a monk uh, living at Kusanara Kusanara is where the Buddha passed into Parinirvana. there is a monk called U Chandramani and Uchandramani uh, may ordain them. Now, Kusinari is a hundred miles uh, from Sarnath. And this is the hottest time of the year. So the people who know them, uh, the monks uh, caution not going at this time of year. This is death to go uh, at this time of year. They go. <laughs> uh, they walk uh, the hundred miles. And Bhante describes this. He, he talks about walking through the curtain of fire and they they have to get up very, very early in the morning before the sun has risen, and uh, when the sun is up it 's intense they they 've got wet towels around their their heads. One morning they see a tiger's prints by the uh, uh, by the railway line a fresh set of prints where they will be walking but they get they get to Kusinara. they survive uh the, the, uh, the journey um, it's interesting asking myself would I have been prepared to walk a hundred miles through the, the Indian sun uh, to uh, get ordination yes um, <laughs> so they uh, uh, they talk to Uchandramani he's sympathetic, he wants time to think about it And he agrees to ordaining them. And Bhante talks about uh, being ordained with his friend, I think on uh, uh, Buddha Day, I think it was Buddha Day uh, morning. I'm not completely sure about that. And the joy, the absolute joy of committing himself uh, to the Buddhist Sangha. In a later publication, Bhante talks about how he mistakenly thought that uh, ordination as a Buddhist monk That is what made you a Buddhist. That's what uh, uh, represented commitment, decisive commitment to the Buddhist path. And he realized uh, later that that was mistaken, uh, that the ordaining as a Buddhist monk could be be as much uh, just joining a religious group as anything else. And it's good to know that, because um, uh, a lot of uh, Bhante's teaching, we just just take for granted. It was hard-won. Uh, it didn't it just occur to him it was hard kind of one. Um, maybe I'll say a bit about, bit about that uh, later they have more adventures they go up to Nepal a few more adventures uh, Bante not very well by this time um, settles down for a time with Jagdish Kashyap and part with his uh, fiery Indian friend a friend who tried to drown him after uh, uh, an argument once Anyway, uh, (laughs) I think Bhante's patience had really got to him and he was going to finish him off. Um, Anyway, he didn't finish him off. So Bhante settles down with Jagdish Kashyap, who is this scholar monk at the Hindu University at Benares. And he said, uh, learning Pali, studying Buddhist logic, these were very, very happy times for Bhante. Very happy times. Jagdish Kashyap decides to go on pilgrimage and take Bhante with him. So they go on pilgrimage to some of the holy places in Bihar. And uh, eventually they go up to a hill, hill station called Kalimpong. Um, and they spend, uh, they spend a few weeks at Kalimpong with Jagdish Kashyap, some of his disciples. One day Jagdish Kashyap says to the young Sangharakshita that he has decided to quit being a teacher. And he's going to take a different direction. And he's going to leave Sangharakshita um, in Kalimpong. And uh, so one morning he gets into the jeep. Uh, his parting words to Bhante are, stay and work for the good of Buddhism. The new will look after you. And then <laughs> the jeep goes down the hill and Bhante is there, an Englishman in robes, 20, 22, 23 Uh, and that's exactly what he does he follows his teacher's exhortation he works for the good of uh, the Dharma he's not sure that he's steeped enough in in the Dharma but that's what he does and he sets up the YMBA not the YMCA but the YMBA uh, the Young Men's Buddhist Association I've got that song coming into my head now (laughs) and it's to help young men practice the Dharma, and practically help them as well with their their studies. Um, And doing this one day, uh, working with the young men one day uh, on English literature, they have to write these sort of uh, praises of uh, poems and uh, other things. Bhante realises that he's teaching the Dharma uh, through the means of uh, literature. Uh, it never occurred to him before that you could uh, you could communicate the truths of the Dharma through the arts, through literature. Um, maybe one of our other speakers is going to talk uh, about that uh, more. So he spends his time, he writes articles, poems, he gives talks, he starts two magazines, uh, lots of adventures at this time... He makes friends. And one of the things that comes through in Bhante's uh, memoirs so much is he's always making friends. He's always making connections with people. I mean, weird, sometimes very weird, weird and wonderful uh, people. Um, he makes friends. Uh, during this time, he didn't have very much in the way of spiritual friendship. So he, he uh, made friends wherever he could. Um, And all the time thinking and reflecting on the Dharma. And he embraces, although he's ordained as a Theravada monk, he embraces the whole Buddhist tradition, very, very inspired by the idea of the Bodhisattva uh, ideal. He observes a rainy season retreat, uh, as we are going to do this week. Uh, For three months of the year, he stays in one place, meditating uh, reflecting, uh, writing, the other months of the year very busy communicating the Dharma, but needing that um, needing that time to refresh himself. And I would really encourage as many of you as possible to to take this time, touch something kind of uh, uh, deeper. Bhante founds a uh, Vihara uh, where the three yanas meet. During this time, China has invaded. Uh, Tibet And lots of uh, well-known Tibetan teachers are leaving Tibet and flooding through Kalimpong, some of them settling in Kalimpong. Um, for some time Bante has been bothered by a, a problem, which is how do you go beyond the ego using the ego? And uh, talking to friends, uh, they suggested that he sh- should be initiated into, uh, into the sadhana of a bodhisattva. Like a, that probably needs unpacking, but that's all I'll, I'll say. So he, he takes uh, initiation from um, a well known Buddhist teacher, Chetal Sangha Dorje, a very uh, unconventional uh, Buddhist teacher. Uh, he takes the green Tara sadhana. And from that time, Bhante says, that he feels that he's kind of guided from a source that is beyond uh, his ego. Um, at this time too, it's quite, a, it's quite a, uh, uh, an intense time for Bhante. He meets Dr. Ambedkar. Dr. Ambedkar uh, was the leader of uh, the untouchables in India. I don't know whether you know very much about untouchability, but uh, the untouchables are at the bottom of the caste system. And um, if you want to improve your condition uh, in Hinduism, you have to stay there. To try and get out of your caste duty um, is uh, uh, not the answer. Dr. Ambedkar had tried to work within Hinduism to improve the lot of the untouchables. Just their touch would pollute you, would pollute you if you were a caste Hindu. And there are millions of them who found themselves in this this particular strata of Indian society. Although it's illegal now, uh, untouchability is illegal, uh, attitudes are so hard to remove, aren't they? Uh, Prejudice is so hard to remove. You can change the law, which helps, but actually basic human attitudes take decades, maybe longer to, uh, to remove. Dr. Ambedkar, was working for many years to try and alleviate the condition of the untouchables. And finally he decides it's impossible. He's going to leave Hinduism and become a Buddhist. In Buddhism there is no caste, uh, notions of caste. And he talks to Bhante about this, how best uh, to do this. Um, And then finally Dr. Ambedkar converts to Buddhism with uh, 400,000 followers. Um, weeks later, days later, many, many more, thousands of people convert uh, to uh, Buddhism. And in Cambridge, slight aside, in Cambridge uh, at uh, uh, Wind Horse Evolution, where I work, we, we have a, uh, a number of Indian Buddhists who come from that community, who come from uh, the X Untouchable community. And their parents or their grandparents were there. Some of them were there at the Great Conversion. And they say that they felt they were getting out of hell. To become a Buddhist was like getting out of hell. Of course, many of them went back to the villages where uh, they still had to struggle uh, with that uh, prejudice. Um, Six weeks later, six weeks after the mass conversions in India, Dr. Ambedkar, who was very, very ill at the time, is dead. Bhante, by an intuition, is in Nagpur uh, very soon after that, maybe the day after that. And uh, this is the heart of the conversion movement in Nagpur, in the centre of India. And uh, Dr. Ambedkar's followers are just lost. The light has gone out of their life. And Bhante spends several days tirelessly... Consoling, exhorting, inspiring uh, them to continue. That Doctor Ambedkar, their, their leader, is still alive within their hearts. Maybe it's hard for us as Westerners to uh, get a sense of what this is like. Um, anyway, I think Nagarbodhi is going to talk about India, so this will probably come out in his in his talk. The Buddhists. The new Buddhists of India have never forgotten Bhante for this. Uh, what he did for them during these, uh, these days. Uh, keeping that new vision alive in their hearts. And for several, he was in Kalimpang for 14 years and every year he would go down to the plains and he would teach for several months the new Buddhists. He would uh, communicate to them what it was to be a Buddhist. And uh, he says uh, some later time, he hadn't kind of realized before then that uh, Buddhism um, had an aspect of social change about it. Yes, it was definitely about transforming yourself, transforming your mind, changing your heart, letting go of those habitual patterns. Uh, But he hadn't realized it could be a real force for social change in the world. and now he was seeing this, he was seeing how society uh, in India had the possibility of uh, a kind of new beginning. And that insight has been kind of brought into into the movement. Um, so it's interesting reading his uh, sort of schedule during these tours down to the plains he gave hundreds of talks, hundreds of talks, worked tirelessly. Uh, but he was one man. There were very, very few monks uh, doing this in India at the time. And people say, uh, uh, people who knew Banji at that time said he was remarkable. He was unlike any other Buddhist monk. He would sleep in the fields with them. He would eat whatever they ate. He would drink whatever they, they drank. He asked for no special treatment as a Buddhist monk. Um, he befriends Dada Rinpoche, who founded a school in Kalimpong, that uh, the movement we are still supporting, a school for refugee uh, children. And he takes Bodhisattva ordination. And then something happens. Uh, an invitation comes from England. And Bunch has been following the uh, fortunes of Buddhism in England, Uh, Tiny, tiny movement. And uh, he's asked to go over and to harmonize conflict uh, in uh, the UK Buddhist movement. I mean, it's tiny, you know, it's uh, two tiny little groups arguing about uh, things. He decides to go on a short visit, and uh, Bunty left England in, in 1944, and he returns in the 60s. And uh, I don't know whether you can imagine what that was like. Uh, if you see some old English films of the uh, the forties, uh, people are wearing hats like a picture prayer, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a complete—it's a revolution. It's a completely in a different world. At this point, we should be have uh, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones being played. Uh, it's swinging. Swinging uh, Britain, isn't it? And uh, the swinging 60s. I vaguely remember those. Uh, the Beatles, LSD, uh, hippies, uh, rock music, sexual revolution, the, the contraceptive pill, cannabis, and interest in Eastern religion. Um, so people breaking away out of the confines of their, their parents' sort of conventions. Um, and it must have been, it must have been a complete you know shock to Bhante coming into this uh, world but he's uh, he's very unflappable and uh, he works with the buddhists in the uk they're rather um, do a lot you know uh quite narrow uh, they tend to be middle aged and uh middle class and uh, rather neurotic he says um, he decides to stay he does see that there is potential in the UK for Buddhism so he takes a, a farewell trip uh, to India uh, to see his teachers to settle the affairs of the Vihara in India and a letter comes the English are so good like this <laughs> and a letter comes from the trustees of the Buddhist Vihara where he's living um, he's been the kind of head monk there, been very, very popular. Things have really started to buzz at the Buddhist uh, Bahara. Um, and he's teaching the whole breadth of Buddhism. They're not very really happy about that. They, they, they espouse a rather narrow uh, Theravadan outlook. And what is worse, he's grown his hair a bit. um and he's with a friend when the letter comes and the letter from the trustees says basically don't come back we don't want you back but you can you can uh, save face by saying you've changed your mind and uh, Bhante says to a friend who's with him do you know what this means? Uh, (laughs) there's no record of what his friend said in response to that do you know what this means? and it means a new Buddhist movement And Banti is now free uh, to communicate the Dharma in however he wants to. Uh, He's free from the restraints of trying to fit in with these two, well, the staid groups. Um, And this is the birth of the FWBO. Remember the FWBO? (laughs) Uh, Actually, it's not. It's the, the, the birth of the Friends of the Western Buddhist Sangha. The FWBO came a little bit later. So Bunty founds the uh, what I'm going to call the FWBO, FWBO no wonder we changed it FWBO uh, in 1967, tiny beginnings. Um, they used to meet in this little Japanese uh, kind of uh, shop in Monmouth Street in the basement. Um, Bunty had started growing his hair kind of uh, longer uh, I remember uh, I remember uh, Abaya, who's, who was around at that time, um, telling us recently, just a few weeks ago, actually, that uh, Bunty used to wear his robes at that time, and um, and then Bunty had uh, was going to meet him, I think, in uh, Bournemouth, and uh, he said, uh, "Be prepared for a surprise." And Abaya said, uh, "Are you giving up Buddhism?" He said, "No." I'm not giving up Buddhism, but be prepared for a surprise. And uh, Bante comes off the train, and he's wearing a plum-coloured. No, he's not. That's another occasion. He's wearing a t-shirt and jeans. He's not wearing the uh, the robes anymore. And he says to a buyer, "So, what do you think?" And the buyer said uh, he he was thinking much reduced, Bante, much reduced. But he said, "Yeah, fine." Uh, <laughs> So, tiny beginnings. In 1968, the order was founded. And Bhante decided to, to found an order, not a, uh, not a group, not a society where you would pay your kind of membership. Uh, there are people who are very fond of joining groups, people are very fond of organizing kind of uh, groups. He wanted a spiritual community, he wanted a, an order where you committed yourself, you decisively committed yourself to the Buddha, Buddha Dharma, and Sangha. Uh, what your lifestyle would be uh, would depend uh, as long as it was an expression of that commitment to the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. By this point he he no longer identifies it with being a monk so uh, you could be a family person uh, you could live as a monk uh, you could be single you could be in any, any number of different kind of arrangements <laughs> lifestyle wise and uh, dedicate yourself to to the buddhist path so the order that he founded was um, was not monastic and it wasn't lay Um, it was an equal ordination for men and women Um, and all the time Bhante kind of clarifying the principles of the movement Uh, seeing that all later developments of Buddhism came out of going for refuge. The Bodhisattva ideal came out of going for refuge. It wasn't a higher ordination. It was the compassionate aspect of going for refuge, the altruistic aspect of going for refuge. And one of the things that he emphasized, which is kind of unusual, was vertical spiritual friendship. So... um, it was quite a feature in traditional Buddhism that you would have a you would have a relationship you would have a, a spiritual friendship with your guru, with your teacher, um, and uh, what Bhante wanted to emphasise was friendship uh, between peers. Actually, um, I'm going to I'm going to kind of read something at the end about uh, that. Um, he was free to experiment. Bhante used Western ideas to carry dharmic messages. Uh, he used things like evolution, uh, the individual and in the group, Western psychology, all sorts of uh, different things to communicate the essential message of the Dharma to this, uh, these people questing for something new. Uh, it was a very exciting time uh, both in, in Britain and the, da, the Dharma, the Buddhist scene at that time, very, very kind of early days. And I would say now, I would emphasize now that these are very, very early days too. It can seem as if the movement is all kind of settled and uh, uh, developed. These are the, the the first moments of the Dharma in the West. You are in <laughs> at those first moments of the Dharma in the West. In a hundred years time two hundred years time three hundred years time people will look at uh, ours now and say they were there at the beginning um, so what are you going to do about that um, so for each experiment the the order uh, steadily grows Bhante, uh takes a sabbatical Bhante, uh leaves the kind of the the scene. Um, And order members, the early order members that we've got so much uh, to thank actually, uh, are suddenly having to find their confidence, uh, find uh, the ability to kind of teach starting centres, new projects, and all the time friendship uh, deepening um, and being tested. Uh, I remember how much we were tested at the building of this uh, project in Manchester. Yes, all the time, Bunti, clarifying the principles, the ideals, clarifying views through seminars, through series of talks, through meetings, through books, uh, identifying modern wrong views and how they undermine dharmic life, the ideals of the new society, right livelihood, uh, which I'm part of in, in Cambridge, the art and culture, uh, the start of the Indian movement. Bunti left India, He worked tirelessly in India, but he was one man. And uh, one man can only do so much. Uh, The order now is established in India. Uh, There are dozens, if not hundreds, of Indian order members now working with that social revolution in India. Um, The movement grows, the movement diversifies. Uh, Handing over, Bhante all the time handing over his... uh, his responsibilities. Um, so, to finish, I mean, I just like to say, Bunte has created a a remarkable thing. He's created a community, uh, a community of friends, something that you can kind of touch into, something that you can be part of. And one of the great gifts Bunte has given me are my friendships. Is a meaning in my life and my friendships and uh friendships now that go back thirty years I never thought that I would uh, have the the depth of friendship that i've got um, you know over thirty years and uh, people seeing me as a young immature you know naive uh, man back in my twenties uh, growing old, growing kind of old. Uh, together um, so that is that 's one of the remarkable things we offer i think uh, you don 't it's not it 's not a uh, an evening institute it 's a spiritual community um, that you can to kind of, be part of and i 'm going to finish with i 'm going to finish with a reading uh, from the essential Sangrachita. <laughs> it just illustrates that and then we're going to have a a little bit of a it's been advertised as a film I I couldn't claim that actually it's rough and uh, it's um, um, probably breaking all sorts of copyright this film (laughs) because we're using uh, we're using clear vision clips I didn't even ask I took them off I took them off YouTube and uh, I should be I should be avoiding uh, um Anisha and Priya and the tea break. So this is what uh, Bhante says about uh, spiritual friendship. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading this to, in a way, illustrate what I'm saying about <coughs> the importance of spiritual community. And it's important because it communicates uh, the values of the Buddha. But more than that, it's a joy. It's a fantastic thing. Uh, friendship in its own right uh, never mind serving a, a, a purpose which it does so Bhante says spiritual friendship is a training in, unse- in unselfishness in egolessness you share everything with your friend or friends you speak to them kindly and affectionately and show concern for their welfare the development of spiritual friendship is very difficult Leading the spiritual life is very difficult. Being a Buddhist, a real Buddhist, is very difficult. We need help. And we get that help not only from our teachers, but also from one another. We can't be with our spiritual teacher all the time, but we can be with our spiritual friends all the time, or at least much of the time. We can see them regularly, perhaps live with them, perhaps even work with them, If we spend time with spiritual friends in this way, we will get to know them better, and they will get to know us better. We will learn to be more open and honest. We will be brought up against our weaknesses, and in particular, we will be brought up against our natural tendency to operate in accordance with the power mode. If we have spiritual friends, they will try not to relate to us in in this way, and they will expect us to operate in the love mode as well, to relate to them with metta. Learning to relate to our friends in this way, we will gradually learn to respond to the whole world with metta, with unselfishness. It is in this way that spiritual friendship is indeed the whole of the spiritual life. Thank you.